Heavenly Father, you are our rock, a mighty fortress. I pray that this morning by your spirit, you would help us, that you would keep our eyes on you and your son as we hear from you in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Just before we read Habakkuk chapter 3, I want to tell a story Um, A story about when I was a a teenager. When I was a teenager, I thought I knew the streets of this city of Edinburgh really quite well. I lived out in West Lothian. I used to get the train to Waverley, Prince's Street, the Royal Mile, nothing more to know. So I thought. Then I went on a school trip to this place, Camera Obscura. I don't know if you've ever been to Camera Obscura. I haven't been in years, to be honest, not since I was at school, but it is amazing It's just at the top of the Royal Mile, and the way it works, you get to the top of this tall building, and when you get there, there's this darkened room with a sort of table in the middle. And on that table is projected a bird's eye view of the whole of Edinburgh. It's sort of like a live version of Google Earth, except it's been there since the 1800s. I have no idea how it works. I think it's probably magic, but it is amazing. You should go. And at the time, I hadn't really seen a map of Edinburgh before. And so I thought, Princess Street, Royal Mile, nothing more to know. I certainly didn't have Google Maps on my phone like we do today. And Camera Obscura just gave me a whole new perspective of this city that I love to visit. Leith Walk, Arthur's Seat, the Meadows. There was just so much more to Edinburgh than I had thought. And it totally changed my experience of the city. Now, in a much bigger way than that, through this questioning process that we've seen with Habakkuk over the last couple of weeks, his perspective has been changing. And if you haven't been here the last two Sunday mornings, I guess you can head to the church website to catch up with where we've been. But by way of summary, before we read our passage for today, Habakkuk begins in chapter one with this honest question. Essentially, he says, what are you going to do, God, about all the injustice amongst your people here in Judah? And God responds to that first question by saying that he will, by the way of the oncoming Babylonian war machine, bring justice on that sinful people. And that's a surprising justice, bringing a sinful people to judge his own sinful people. And so Habakkuk asks another honest question. He's not petulant or grumpy or complaining about what God has said. He accepts God's word. He accepts the oncoming justice. But he just doesn't get why God would do that. Why would God use an evil foreign empire to bring justice on his own people? And God responds by saying that he will also bring justice on the Babylonians. Not because of the justice that they have executed under his restraint but because they are an arrogant, prideful, and self-sufficient people. If God is a God of justice, then he has to judge like that. And yet, in chapter 2, verse 4, maybe actually have a look at chapter 2, verse 4. You might need to turn back a page. This is a key verse, I think, for the book. Chapter 2, verse 4 says this. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, speaking of the Babylonian but the righteous shall live by his faith. God says there that he will judge the proud, the puffed up, the self-reliant and the humble, those who rely on God by faith, they will live. And so it is this, this is Habakkuk's renewed perspective of God's salvation and it is 
cause for great celebration. That's what we get in today's passage that I'm about to read for us. It's a celebration. It's a song of prayerful praise. Praise for the God who has made a way, as we've just read in Romans chapter 3, to be both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in him. So let's read uh, Habakkuk chapter 3 together and see how Habakkuk praises God in this way. So Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shagianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth, he looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low, his were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction, The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, or your indignation against the sea, when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheaf from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Imagine with me, uh, let me take you back. If you've been with us the last two Sundays, this is a familiar picture. It's still World War II. Uh, We've been on the stormy boat to France. We've pictured ourselves storming the beaches of Normandy, and we thought about that in between, right? Victory at D-Day is secure, but the battle still rages. You've lost friends. You're exhausted. 
that you are getting ever closer to Berlin. You are getting ever closer to the enemy surrender. You can almost feel it. Uh, For us, that's been a picture of life, really. Because there is no denying that wherever you stand, whatever your worldview is this morning, whatever faith you do have, for all of us, there is pain, there is trauma, As we look around at the world around us, there is injustice, there is mess. As a Christian on this side of the cross, this side of D-Day if you like, and as we read the promises of Habakkuk that ultimately eternal justice will be done, as we get ever closer to that final victory, we cannot deny that there is mess. And maybe the Christian life just doesn't look as victorious as we might have hoped that it would. And yet we can, with Habakkuk, praise our God. We can praise him as we look back and remember what he has done. We can praise him for who he is. And we can praise him for what we know that he will do. Because for the Christian, Christ has come and Christ will come again. It's really where we're going Uh, This chapter of God's Word, it is, as I've said, it's not an ordinary spoken prayer. It really is a song. I don't know if you noticed that in verse 1. Have a look at verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shagianoth. Now, you might be asking, I was certainly asking, what on earth is Shagianoth? And apparently, according to the clever people who write uh, commentaries and that sort of thing, it seems to be one of those musical instructions that we sometimes get in the Psalms. Maybe a tune to sing this song to, or an instrument, or a way of playing an instrument to go with these words. You then have the word selah throughout. I don't know if that's printed in your Bible. Sometimes it's just given as a, as a footnote, but it is really there in the, in the text. And that's probably a sort of musical pause or a change of tone, or a change of tempo, perhaps. And then right at the end of the chapter, perhaps most obviously, see at the end of verse 19, this is to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is no ordinary prayer. It was obviously intended to be sung. And I think we should ask why. And I think it's because it is also to be remembered, to be internalised. It's amazing what singing does, isn't it? It was true of soldiers during World War II belting out a chorus of we'll meet again. And maybe you can picture yourself there singing it arm in arm. We begin to internalize those words. We might not know how or when, but we're sure we'll meet again. Maybe you've experienced that with the national anthem at Murrayfield or a chorus of Sunshine on Leith at Easter Road. And how much more important when we are singing about our God. I trust uh, when we sing here in church, we are singing songs that contain words of truth, real truth. And it's important that if we listen to Christian music elsewhere, which is a great thing to do, but with the huge array of uh, worship songs on offer, it's just so important, I think, we should be careful that what we are listening to and singing is the truth that we can trust. Because there is something, I think, especially about music and something about singing that takes words from the head and begins to see them be absorbed by the heart. I think that is especially true when we sing together. It's really why we sing together at church. 
And when I was at university, I had a friend who actually refused to sit next to me at church because my singing was so bad and so loud that he couldn't help but laugh. And maybe some of you have experienced that if you've sat anywhere near me over the last couple of weeks. But even if we're terrible at singing, there is no denying that it engages our heart in a way that sitting at home and watching church on YouTube or listening back to a sermon simply doesn't manage. And so if you are listening to this back on the website or if you find yourself watching church online, sometimes if you're here but you've slipped into the habit of occasionally missing church, maybe saying to yourself, it's okay, I'll just watch something online. You need to see that that just is not the same thing. I understand there may be no option, and it's great to be able to do that when we really have no choice. But church online really is no substitute for singing arm in arm with your brothers and sisters. For as we do so, truths about God move from our head to our hearts. And so here in Habakkuk, we have a particularly important prayer, I think, preserved for us in song for faithful believers as they gather together through the ages. Maybe, Adam, you could put these words to music for us at some point. And in this song, we see that Habakkuk praises God for what he has done and who he is in verses 3 to 15. And he praises God for what he will do in verses 16 to 19. You have done it before, he says. You will do it again. So let's start in verse 2. At verse 2, I think, acts as kind of like an introduction, a prologue for the rest of the chapter. So just the first half of verse 2, if you have a look at that with me. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. Praises for what God has done and who he is. Habakkuk has waited patiently to hear from the Lord, and what he has heard what he has seen, that which he is about to share, it is literally so incredible that he cannot help but fear him. He stands in awe of him. And so what is it that God has done? Well, for Habakkuk, for the people of Judah and for the history of Israel, the big salvation event in the history of this people is the Exodus story. The rescue out of slavery from Egypt and the conquering of Canaan, the promised land. And so that's really what we get in these verses. It's a sort of retelling of that story in song. So see in verse 3, in verse 3 he talks about Mount Paran. That's a place that's often associated with Sinai and the wilderness where God's people met with him after he had rescued them out of slavery. And then at Mount Sinai, in the wake of that Exodus story, God, he revealed his power to his people in the thundering clouds with great flashes of lightning. Just like in verse 4, if you have a look at verse 4. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. And this image is uh, almost like something from a Marvel film, I think. You can almost imagine the scene, a superhero descending on the clouds with lightning coming out of their hands or something. But that was only what God's power was like when it was veiled or hidden. Do you see that at the end of the verse? Just imagine the awesome sight of the full power and glory of this God. Indescribable, unimaginable. Even the creative boffins at Marvel couldn't come close to doing it justice. And the Exodus story continues in verse 5. Before him, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. 
Now, so often in the Bible, pestilence and plagues are signs of God's judgment. And of course, there were the plagues in Egypt when Pharaoh's heart, heart was hardened and God judges him in exactly this way, through plagues. And he brings his people victorious into the promised land. In verse 6, as he does that, God shakes the nations. See, in verse 6, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations as God leads the Israelites in victory from Egypt into Canaan. I wonder, actually, if that might even be a specific picture of the walls of Jericho falling before God's faithful people, if you know the story. Not that God's people tore down those walls themselves, but as they trusted God on their way into their promised land. And the echoes of Exodus continue. I wonder if you noticed all the water imagery in these verses as we read them at the start. An example of that in verse 8. Verse 8, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? Take it, Habakkuk has the parting of the Red Sea in mind here. Again, that's part of the Exodus story. God's people rode their horses and chariots out of Egypt and safely through the Red Sea. And then the following Egyptians followed them and were swallowed by the white wave horses of the sea. Habakkuk is looking back at this incredible salvation that God has delivered for them. And he is praising God for what he has done. But in doing so, he is also praising God for who he is, who he is eternally. See, God doesn't change. Even as we remember what he has done and our perspective of him changes, he remains the same. At that kind of water and the sea, it's really an anti-God image throughout the Bible and especially in Hebrew poetry like what we've got here. And it represents chaos and evil and destruction. And yet here, God has total command over the waters because God is a victorious God. He's done that before for his people. And there is just a hint here that the final victory over evil is his too. We get another hint of that victory over evil in verse 13. If you come to verse 13 with me. You went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Remember, Habakkuk is looking back here. He is describing how God has defeated the enemies of his people, humiliating them, laying them bare out for naked, uh, naked for all to see. Apparently, that was a common practice for victorious kings and their enemies, humiliating them like this. Habakkuk is still recounting the victories of God, of, of what he's done. But there are also allusions here to the promises, the eternal promises of Genesis chapter 3. At right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, there's this serpent, an image of evil, entering creation. And God promises that the woman's offspring would bruise or crush the head of the serpent. Just like here in verse 13. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked. We have praises for what God has done, but in them just hints of praises for who he is eternally. And this is really how the Bible works. When it describes God's work in history, it is always pointing us to God's final work in, in Jesus and ultimately to the end of all of history when he returns. As if to say God has overcome his enemies in history and he is also finally victorious over all of history. He has done it before. He will do it again. 
And this is the perspective of Habakkuk, having had this dialogue with God. He's been reminded of what God has done, of who God is, and he begins to look ahead to what God will do. But before we get there, just from our perspective, I think we need to say how much more can we sing the praises of what God has done in light of Christ and the cross? For us today, this side of Jesus, this side of the cross, this side of D-Day, even as we might struggle to see God's purposes in the world today, as we look around and see the, the mess, as we struggle to see his purposes in the hurt and pain of everyday life, whatever it is that we are facing, know this. At the cross, when God looked his weakest, when he looked most defeated, when it looked as though the world had won, in that moment, he was doing what he had always promised he was going to do. He was crushing the serpent's head. He was defeating the anti-God chaos of the sea. He was overcoming evil. And we've seen that that was a surprising justice. In that moment, because he was making a way for you and for me, despite our contributions to the mess and injustices of the world, despite the judgment that we deserve, he was making a way for us to know him today. That is a surprising justice, but it is very good news. Isn't that good news? And now praises for what God has done turn into praises for what God is going to do. So have a look back then at the rest of verse 2. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Here Habakkuk is saying, you have done it before, do it again. Revive, repeat, renew your work, do it again, rescue your people. And make it known, reveal it, help your people to see Habakkuk has no doubt that God's righteous wrath is coming. It's who God is. He is a just God. He has to judge the proud. He has to judge those who perpetuate mess and injustice in this world. If he is a God of justice, he has to judge them. But Habakkuk can also appeal to God's mercy. He is a God of justice, but he is also merciful. For those who are humble and rely on him in faith, though they too deserve judgment, for them God has mercy. And so here Habakkuk really, he pleads God's character back to him and he asks him to act, to do it again. So I think that verse 2 sets up for us what Habakkuk goes on to say in verses 16 to 19, where he praises God for what he is going to do. First, in verse 16, we get this response from Habakkuk as to what God has done. And also, as, as Habakkuk looks ahead, this is how he responds. See in verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk responds here and he anticipates and as he does so his heart, his lips, his legs just shaking, unable to hold himself. don't know if you've ever been on a really long bike ride or had a really intense leg workout and then after it you can barely walk. 
Habakkuk is just wobbling all over the place. You know, I think in this country we can be quite British about this sort of reaction to God's word and his power and his glory. Sometimes maybe rightly sceptical. But this sort of fear in the face of what God has done and is going to do is all over the Bible. As people hear about who God is, as they hear about God's plans, I mean, even Jesus in his anguish at what God is about to do, sweats drops of blood. Maybe we can respond more fearfully to God's plans. What are those plans? We'll have a look at the end of verse 16. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. For Habakkuk, as he sits and waits on God's plans, we've seen this throughout this book, he knows that God will bring justice on the Babylonians. But he also knows that first, God's justice on Judah and through the Babylonians will be devastating. In verse 17, we get a picture of what is coming. Have a look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. This is a devastating image, like absolutely devastating. Judah's life was a farming life. Fig trees, vines, olives, flocks, cattle. That was all that they had. In these verses, Judah is being stripped of everything in judgment. That's the image. And yet, in verse 18, have a look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. How can Habakkuk say that? Well, it's because in that day, when judgment is brought on the people of Judah, when those who have turned away from their God are brought low, still those who are faithful to God will rejoice. For remember, chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous will live by his faith. When Babylon comes, those in Judah who have faith in him will not die, but will receive his salvation. And that is exactly what happened. In history, the Babylonian Empire came. They executed judgment on God's people, but there was a faithful remnant. Faith in the mess. For us, this is just so important, living as we do in a messy world, as we've said, on this side of the cross. God's surprising justice has been done, but his complete justice is still to come. And in the meantime, it's a messy world, but we can, even amidst the mess, rejoice in the Lord, be joyful in God our Saviour, for we know what he has done, and so we can trust what he will do. Christ has come. Christ will come again. This is faith in the mess. But we have to say it's not easy, is it? And so in the meantime, have a look at verse 19. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. For Judah, though the Lord will bring them salvation, the world is nonetheless going to continue to be a mess. They will face challenges. Why else would they need the strength of the Lord? 
Why else would they need to be given the secure footing of a deer? Why else would they be given the ability to tread on his high places, to walk with him? It is surely because though they have been saved by their God, they nonetheless need him in order to persevere by faith in this life. And God gives them everything that they're going to need to be able to do that. Just so, don't we desperately need our God today? I do. Don't we need him as we navigate the messy world in which we live? We do not know, do we, for certain what our future in this world contains. None of us can know that. But we can be sure that we will face trials. Trials that make our God feel very small and the world feel all-consuming in the midst of our busy and messy lives. Our families, whether it's at school or university or our workplace, wherever we are, just so aware that God can feel very small and the world around us can feel very scary as though it demands all of our attention. And God promises that he will ultimately do justice in that mess. But much more than that, he promises us that he will give us all that we need to persevere by faith in the meantime. Isn't that good news? The change in perspective that I was given when I saw the wonders of Camera Obscura really did change my experience of this city. A bit like Habakkuk, and a renewed perspective, if you like. For Habakkuk, remembering what God had done, seeing what God would do, his experience turned from questions into praise. Camera Obscura was a game changer for me, but it was nothing compared to the game changing moment of Google Maps. Now, not only did I have a picture of the whole city in my mind, a new perspective, with Google Maps, I could actually see where I was and I could explore all the nooks and crannies of this wonderful place. Well, in a similar sort of way, if these answers gave Habakkuk a Camera Obscura like new perspective, how much more can we? this side of Jesus, delight in the God of our salvation as we remember what he has done and what he is coming to do. For he has come and he will come again. If God has done it before, then we can be certain that the final victory is his. With D-Day behind us and the final victory ever nearer with every step that we take, how much more can we sing the praises of what God is going to do in light of Jesus's promised return. What that means is that as your body aches, as your mind is tired, fed up with the monotony of life, in your most painful relationship, in your greatest anxiety, frustrated at your own sin, in all of that mess, you can have faith in this God. His promise is that one day we will be with him. No more tears, no more pain, a new creation with a new body, no more sin, no more mess. We can have faith in this God. He's always been faithful. He's done it before. He'll do it again. Christ has come and Christ is coming once, finally, and for all those whose faith is in him. That's faith in the mess.
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, for this wonderful book of Habakkuk. Lord, we thank you for his experience and the renewed perspective that you've given him. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the very same thing as we look back at your cross and see the wonderful promise of forgiveness, the wonderful promise of justice done. And as we look ahead to the final moment of your return, of final justice, Lord, would you give us everything that we need by your spirit to persevere, to have faith despite the mess of the world that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen.